Welcome to The Writing Life, the podcast for anyone who writes. I'm Steph McKenna. And I'm James Gill. From the National Centre for Writing here at Dragon Hall in Norwich. In this episode, Norwich-based poet and writer Shannon Clinton-Copeland speaks to our current virtual residents at the National Centre for Writing. Together with Shannon, Akshita Nanda, Crispin Rodriguez and Daryl Quillen-Yam discuss writing and literary life in Singapore. Their residencies are supported by Singapore's National Arts Council. Virtual residencies for writers and translators such as this one can bring national and international voices and ideas to places like Norwich. And through commissions, online events and podcasts like this one, those voices can also reach a global audience. Akshita, Crispin and Daryl touch on everything from the relationship between writing and culture to writing as a method for finding common experiences. They also discuss understanding across social, cultural and linguistic borders. You can find out more about our virtual and in-person residencies on our website, nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk. And so, without further delay, we bring you Shannon, Akshita, Crispin and Daryl. Alrighty. Hi, everyone. It's lovely to see you all again. Lovely to see you, Shannon. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. How are you, Akshita? All good. <laughs> Great. How are you, Crispin? I'm good. I'm good. Good stuff. And how are you, Daryl? I'm, in- I'm incredible. After this, I'm watching the sixth episode of The White Lotus. So, yes. <laughs> that sounds amazing. That sounds like a great day. It's a great evening, so... <laughs> awesome. Okay, so, um, uh, like, like Jill said, it's going to be pretty, pretty informal. Um, I'm essentially just going to be moderating for you guys to have a conversation. What I'll do is um, start you off with some questions and see where things go. And I'll kind of prompt you guys to speak just so we can, you know, make sure that we're not talking over each other and um, getting some good audio. So, um, yeah, let's let's uh, make a start. So, yeah, I'm so I'm so excited to be here with you all today. Thank you all for making making the time. It's amazing to sit down and talk to you. Um, and today we're going to be talking about uh, the writing life in Singapore. But first, I'd just love to hear from all of you just a quick introduction to yourselves, who you are and what you do. Um, so Daryl, if you could start. Hi, I'm Daryl Tilanyam. Um, I am mainly known as a novelist and arts organiser. Um, I am the author of three books, uh, most recently two of which are the, love, uh, the novel Lovely Alonelia, and the novella Shanti 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 and on the arts organizing side I co-founded the, the literary non-profit Singlet Station. Awesome thank you I'm Akshita. Hi I'm Akshita Nanda and I'm a novelist I've written two books Nimita's Place and Beauty Queens of Bishan both of which have been published in Southeast Asia and uh, look at issues of migration, equality, ethnicity. Nimitha's Place co-won the Singapore Literature Prize in 2020. And during my residency here, I'm also looking at how ideas and people travel in our globalised network age. Thank you so much. And Crispin? Hi, everybody. I'm Crispin. I'm primarily a poet. I have three collections. My latest one is How Now Blown Crow. I'm also a co-editor of a youth anthology of poetry called uh, Crazy Little Pyromaniacs. And uh, I have a new podcast that I'm launching uh, at the end of this year. It's a literary podcast that focuses on Singapore literature. It's called Sporken Word. Uh, You can find it on Spotify and it drops 23rd December, first episode. Amazing. Thank you so much. All right. To get us started, I'd just love to hear a little bit from each of you about um, your personal experience of the writing life or writing culture and literary culture in Singapore, what it's like, 
uh, what your personal experience has been, what you what you might kind of say about it? Well, thank you. That's such a lovely question. Um, it's been my experience that the writing life in Singapore really depends on who you are, where you come from, because a lot of emphasis is only put on literature and writing in certain schools and to people of certain backgrounds. So I, for example, was in a school where there was a creative writing club. I'm not saying it made me do creative writing and instead it sort of sent me in the opposite direction, but it did mean that access to resources and literary mentors is limited to a very few people who are usually selected by the Ministry of Education. Um, I'm 40, I'm turning 44. So when I was growing up in Singapore in the 1990s, um, it wasn't that easy as a young writer to go out and find other writers and other people who are interested. So I would say I actually came to writing through fan fiction and people who were creating mangas and doujinshi because we met each other in hostels or in school corridors and had this secret little passion and we worked on it. Other people would have come up through maybe a more formalized introduction to poetry circles, etc. Fiction writing itself, as I'm sure Daryl and Crispin will tell you, is kind of in its infancy because we keep losing good writers to other countries where there is an appetite for their work. But right now, I do find that there is a lot of support for writers, a lot of interest in writing that's coming from Singapore. And because Singapore is so diverse and there are so many ethnicities here and so many different languages, four official languages, you know, um, Chinese, English, Malay and Tamil. That means the ways we can express ourselves and understand each other are rather unique and also very diverse. So it's really exciting, actually, to be writing in Singapore. That's what I think. It sounds incredibly exciting. I mean, there seems to be a really lively writing culture in Singapore, which I I'm, I love hearing more about. Um, Crispin, if you'd like to... Sure, yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, sort of building on what Akshita said. Um, yeah, I mean, we I think most of us, we picked up creative writing in schools. Um, and it's quite interesting because when we were in primary and secondary schools, creative writing was taught as an almost an examinable subject, part of English language. And it's very much, it's very mechanical in Singapore. You, you, there are often these tuition centers that would pop up all over the place offering tuition and creative writing to score well for your English exam. And so, you know, when we were younger, creative writing was often seen as something that you, there was a requirement for an examination. But I think for me, um, I sort of picked up poetry, um, I guess, because I participated in the spoken word scene and when, when it came up in about 2007, 2007, 2008, and I just finished my, um, I just finished my secondary school. Um, and after that, I, I just wanted to do something that was different. That was not something that I had to study in an exam. And so, and I went to spoken word, it was, you know, it was all it was all in these bars, and it was a bit shady. But at the same time, you know, you finally met a community, a tribe of people who were willing to express themselves, not in a very conformist way that you would find in the school. And so, I, I sort of picked up my my. I started writing poetry from that perspective, and um, you know that that's been it's been quite some time since then. And I um when I went to university, I was exposed to more forms of creative writing, and um. I think the community here is quite small, but very closely, uh, very close knitted, and I think that's the fun part because I think everyone knows everyone in Singapore. All the writers kind of know what each other is doing, and the community tries to help elevate each other because it's so small. That's so cool. Yeah, I can see how 
everything is kind of working together in this really kind of close-knit network. Daryl, would you like to say a bit about the writing life? Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess when it comes to the writing life in Singapore, I know it, I know of it in two senses, really. The first one being the life I know it personally, and the second one being the life I know it professionally. Um, personally speaking, yes, it began in school for me too, but um, it didn't really come about because of school, it came about because of one teacher, and I feel like we all have that one teacher that kind of changes our lives and teaches us really the value of literature. And that that person for me was this guy called Mr. Brian Connor. And the way he talked about these incredibly, this incredibly diverse list of books, it was so incredible. And I remember he spoke with particular passion, Herman Hesse's Siddhartha. And when I was, when I was reading it, this book in particular, and just really getting deep into the text, it taught me so much about how enlightenment is this horizon that one keeps striving towards, you know? And in many ways, because he taught me that book and because he also encouraged me to write and he'd get me to submit pieces of writing, you know, like at the end of class and then he'd submit the piece of writing back to me at the start of the next class. Like I feel like all these different themes just kind of intertwine. And um, when I think of writing myself, I think of you know, <laughs> the mornings that I just spent on my own uh, while I was also trying to run Singlet Station just at a Starbucks, um, getting unreasonably addicted to cold brews, just unreasonably addicted to them um, and just leaving away every morning. Um, when I think of writing for myself, I think of having to create my own residencies of grants or like just like money that I've saved up for myself to just like be away from Singapore and just like shut myself away, lead an almost calm, monastic life, just slaving away that little, my little narratives again. And so much of it has to do with labor and also like being sucked into this kind of wormhole of your own making. (laughs) And it's a very lonely place, which is so ironic because when I think of writing, I think of how I'm often kind of constantly trying to transcend this sense of loneliness or only to just run deeper into that feeling, which then contrasts with the writing life as I know it professionally. Um, as an arts organizer, I, we, we have this um, program called Manuscript Bootcamp at Singlet Station, and every other year we devote it to prose, and every other year I encounter this just a new batch of writers who are constantly just working on manuscripts, and it's always so encouraging to see um, all these people just trying to make it, trying to make their works better. Whether or not they they actually make it to the bootcamp because it's a very competitive program, they're still trying their best. And just seeing that always, always gives me, I don't know, it's just this, such a, a real sense of pride in the community. Like what Crispin said, you know, there's so much liveliness happening. And um, because, you know, as a published writer, we get connected to other published writers, you know, We've also kind of created our own little pockets of friendship groups and stuff like that. And that has been very sustaining and very nourishing to me. Because as, as much as as an introvert I am and as lonely as the writing gets, sometimes being able to kind of peek out of that loneliness and talk to people who kind of get you and understand you and, and be just in a chat, like group chat with like a lot of mutual respect. I think that's been so, so rewarding. And so, yeah, that's that's how... I've understood and I've come to understand this writing life in Singapore. Yeah, I love this idea of transcending loneliness because writing can often be a really solitary practice. Mm. Um, 
but when we come together it can be a real source of of community and um Akshita I know you as you said your writing often explores um migration and how it's accelerated by globalization I wonder if you maybe have any thoughts about how that might influence ideas about writing and loneliness and connection Oh absolutely thank you very much in fact um that is very much why i moved towards topics of migration and belonging and place in my writing i do think the writers are essentially kind of solitary creatures and also communal we're very contradictory and we don't fit in we don't fit into established narratives something about society and the nature of the world constantly itches away at us either we want to observe it or we want to reimagine it and in that sense we are migrants in existence you know and some of us are also migrants in reality as i am i came to singapore when i was a teenager i've spent most of my life here compared to the country where i was born india i hold a singaporean passport but you know my existence is often questioned and also to be a woman or a non cishet man in society is also to have your existence and identity constantly questioned where do you belong where do you hold power what are the ways in which you can wield power and writing then becomes a way not just of self expression but also of wielding power when i first started writing writing was a way to gain acceptance because like many writers i didn't even though i had a creative writing club in school i didn't really have any formal education um in creative writing i came up through science so i can write you papers i can write you experimental analyses but um fiction writing requires a different screw in your brain so writing was really a process of discovery and enjoyment and loneliness because apart from the other weird creators out there nobody quite understood why i was constantly chasing what daryl has very likely called something that requires so much labor. I have scars, I have tendonitis, I have swollen almost arthritic joints because of the amount of time I spend writing and yet I chase it. And the, and and I think the most wonderful thing about writing and loneliness is that you're sending messages out in bottles. Everything you write, everything you do, and if you're lucky, somebody picks up that message in a bottle. And thanks to the internet today, you hear from readers. Or here I am, connected with wonderful writers like you. And then we're all sending our little messages and bottles out, and the bottles are clinking in the ocean. And I also think that's a lot like migrants today. We're all little messages in bottles, moving around the world, trying to find our purpose, clinking against each other, and hopefully not eventually damaging, but coming together. for something greater. That was a really beautiful way to put that I think. And this idea that you touched on of, you know, where do you belong? I think is a universal question for writers that transcends whatever form or genre you write in. And Crispin, I know as you said you you write poetry, and I wonder if in your experience if the poetry community is connected to the wider writing community or would you say that there is a kind of separation there I think there is a there's a great connection to the, to a really wide community I think we we do get like the traditional anglo tradition that we mostly picked up in literature lessons in school but at the same time because of our effective bilingualism you're getting stuff from China stuff from India uh you're getting stuff from the Malay con- the, the the whole Malay region in in that we're part of um you know and you're mixing and blending all of it together I mean 
the poetic forms are amazing. The stuff that we, you know, we can take something like a traditional Malay pantun, which is from our region, you know, and adapt it, for example, into Chinese or into English because of our effective bilingualism and that kind of play that you can have because everyone around you is doing something like that is amazing. So I think the one part of one, I think poetry in Singapore is one part, like a mad professor's lab. But on the other part, it's it's a lot about embracing tradition and innovating because of all these different you know, uh, lineages that you, that you've inherited, and I think that's something really fun. Uh, every year we have this we have this event that happens uh, in April, and it's organized by in part by Singlet Station. It's uh, Singapore Poetry Writing Month, or we we shorten it to Singapore Rimo. And um, during April, every day you will see it starts off with like a thousand people, and then it slowly decreases to a small pool because it's a marathon. You know, we there is a poetry prompt that appears every day, and people write and they they post it on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, whichever social media outlet they use. Um, but you get that community that's coming out, that's willing to engage with all of these prompts, that's trying new things that might you know might configure styles in ways that you have not seen before and I think that's the fun part about you know being part being in Singapore where you have that mixture of language culture and also the willingness to try something new and it's almost uh it's almost a chance for you to an excuse for you to experiment because of all all of this that you've inherited and I, I really love that I love that idea of tradition and innovation coming together you also mentioned there that um, you mentioned school again, and school seems to be a kind of um, formative place uh, in Singapore for, for writing practice. And Daryl mentioned earlier having a, a teacher or a kind of a mentor that causes that, that kind of light bulb moment that makes you want to write or encourages you to write. I wonder, um, Crispin, if you had a person like that for yourself. So for me, I, I didn't really receive, uh, uh, I didn't see anyone in like in, in, in my regular school life that, that was something like that for me. But when I entered the spoken word scene um, in, in the, mid, the mid-2000s, we had three fantastic poets who, who happened to be performing during time. And um, one of them is this poet, Mark Naya. Uh, another one is a very well-known queer poet in Singapore, Ng Yisheng. And the last one is Puja Nancy, who is the current festival director of the Singapore Writers Festival. And the three of them um, were very active. You know, they were, I guess, in the prime of their lives um, without much responsibility. So they could attend uh, many of these events without some kind of familial obligation, as it were. And so they were there month after month competing against each other. And because you had that kind of competition going on, it really spurred an entire younger generation of spoken word artists to want to follow in their footsteps. So I guess those three were were mentors for us. That's really beautiful. I think that universal inspiration from them is so important that it influences everybody differently as well. Akshita, did you have a person or or moment or a mentor? Well, I grew up in a family that loved writing. My um, grandfather wrote his memoirs. He was a diplomat. In fact, he was one of the first diplomats to this Southeast Asian region after Indian independence and just as the Southeast Asian countries were beginning to gain their independence. So he wrote about a very formative and phenomenal time in Southeast Asian history. but I, I went in the nonfiction direction for many years until it was my editors at the Straits Times who 
sort of thought that maybe I was getting a little restless. And one of them, Clarissa Oon, who is interestingly now with a major arts organization in Singapore, um, doing other wonderful things for other artists. She insisted that I actually take time off to go write a novel. And I had no idea what I was going to write about, but she pushed for it. And I had other editors like Helen Chia and Warren Fernandez were like, all right, you want to go off and write a novel? Why not? Nobody's really done that before, but go off and do that. And so they gave me time off and I had to take the time off and then I had to come up with a novel and they threw me a party. So I had to come back with something. And during that party, they were like about nearly a hundred people there they said oh please write us something funny with a lot of Bollywood wedding stuff we don't want any of this crying deep thinking stuff we want something that takes us out of their lives so I scratched the first 10 ideas I had and I wrote the book that was Nimitta's Place which is about a girl trying to escape arranged marriage and how her grandmother tried to escape an arranged marriage in India 70 years before and um, yeah, and then I and then I delivered a novel. Thanks very much to my editors, who should have been making me write nonfiction. <laughs> wow, that's that is an amazing way to to produce a novel. It seems like like uh, like Crispin said, it seems that kind of tradition and innovation go hand in hand a little bit. You've got that initial learning from school or in a more professional setting and then you've got kind of alternative places of learning like the spoken word scene and Daryl you mentioned earlier about um, when you think of the writing life you think of your professional writing life versus personal writing life I wonder if you could say a a bit more about that kind of differentiation oh um, well I suppose for me because I do write from an intensely personal place and I feel like that's where I I do think most of the writing happens you know um And I mean, I'm not currently in that phase where I am working on a book because if I were, I think almost biochemically, like my body would just run in a very different way. Um, The way I think, the way I expend energy throughout the day, it would be very different. I remember when I told myself as an undergrad that I'll be writing my first book. I remember only in retrospect, but it was like my body had kind of like... (laughs) It kind of like like a, like a hole had opened up in my head. Like it was already getting ready to receive from whatever, you know, an idea that would be big enough to kind of fill, you know, whatever limits or confines of a novel. Um, so I guess when I, when I think of the personal life, I think of that in those terms. Um, almost like, I think someone alluded to earlier, something like writing, a, something like writing, running a marathon really, a, a very oft abused um, metaphor, but it is true, you know, there's something physical that happens. Whereas when I think of the professional life, well, so much of it has nothing to do with writing, really. So much of it has to do with, I guess, networking. I guess that's one thing, because there's so much you learn from communion, right, and companionship. And because, like we've established, writing is such a lonely, lonely process being able to kind of just bitch about it to someone else who gets it, I think that's so immensely valuable. And then another thing you realize, of course, that, you know, not all writers are are enlightened, as one of my godmothers would say, you know. That's another lesson you have to learn. Um, uh, <laughs> um, and there's a kind of disillusionment that happens that is still actually quite necessary for you to continue as a writer, I, um, you know. Um, and... Um, Another part of that professional 
life aside from arts organizing because I think I've talked about it like it's also like you know like going for workshops going for residencies you know under undertaking a kind of or participating in a mentorship program I think those things are also so valuable and again I guess a lot of it has to do with a lot of the things I mentioned earlier you know like companionship talking learning from one another but even then I don't think we can ever like underestimate the value of those things you know because when when you naturally feel connected to something larger I feel like it just runs parallel with Oh, I can't speak for all writers, but what I like to think is, you know, like this desire to be connected to something larger, you know, because, yeah, all my life I felt really small in a country that was very proud also of being small and was frightened of its own smallness at the same time. And the idea that the world could be so much larger or that you could make your own world just a little larger, I think that's always been, there's always been something that I valued and treasured very deeply. And so I, yeah, that's how I've conceived of the distinction between the two. Yeah, it seems, you know, the writing life can be, just like writers, can be very contradictory. It can be really hard, really difficult, and also really beautiful and give you that opportunity, like you said, to sort of open yourself up and create another world. And, you know, actually to, like you said earlier, you know, this 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 writing life, it, it beats me down it hurts me my my joints feel swollen and, and yet I, I chase it I chase it anyway and um Crispin I wonder do you feel also that there's a kind of contra- a contradictory thing there with the writing life where it can be these these two very contradictory things I think um you know as someone who has a full-time job and writes on the side you know I often have a very difficult time trying to explain to people like people always ask me like where do you find the time to write and I tell them that well writing is is both a passion of mine but it's also a kind of job because it is it's not just the act of writing I mean great you have an idea it's a creative idea idea it pops out at the same time but you have to work at it and and I think that's the that's the job part you know you work at it you you make sure you keep it in your brain you scribble down notes and it somewhere um you work at it you keep that line of thought and and that's the thing that that i often find that that's a struggle of an artist that we we desire even though it's a struggle that we engage in so i i i know someone calls it the the ecstasy but also the pain that one come that comes from writing and and i don't think i would want it any other way i think as a as a writer we must indulge in our thoughts we must have that moment i think daryl mentioned the idea of like spending time with yourself being a bit more nestic in that way and i think that if you don't have that, there's no way to write. And so for me, there is a lot of joy, but I think there's also a need for, for some pain that comes with the pleasure of writing. Absolutely. And I think it's really common for a lot of people um, around the world that writing is both, like you said, um, a passion and also a job. And uh, Daryl, I know you, like you said, you run um, a literary nonprofit or you co-founded a literary nonprofit called um, Singlet Station. Would you be able to tell me a little bit more about that? Um, for sure. Um, so Singlet Station really began as just like a loose collection of discrete programs run by this poet, uh, Joshua Ip. Um, and I think he really wanted to set up a non-profit um, that could kind of put all these programs together and have them organized on a more professional rather than personal level. Um, and so he kind of pulled in me um, and this other fiction writer called John Gresham together to 
to start a nonprofit together. And we were determined that it would be a charity that had been IPC, um, what we call an Institute of Public Character, um, which is kind of basically like a higher tier charity that would incentivize people to donate because it would give them tax benefits and stuff like that. Um, um, and it would be more highly regulated and audited and stuff. And um, the when we put our heads together to put to kind of run this nonprofit, we were thinking, what does it need to do? What can it do? Versus a few of the other literary intermediaries that were still existing in the scene at the time. And we decided that it would definitely be kind of a place that would serve writers and serve writing and, you know, the business of writing. And the way we thought of it operationally was, okay, we're going to have a bunch of programs that would kind of professionally advance um, writers, both in terms of their ability to write and their ability to earn income. And a, lo- a huge part of that was actually sending them to schools to teach. Um, and then another arm of the programming that we wanted to conceive of and kind of execute was to, what can we think of? What, can, what ways can we think of to kind of basically promote the development and awareness of local literature? I think one of the huge huge curses of being a Singaporean is that we are so enamored and in love with international culture. Like I just said to you, right? I was going to watch The White Lotus after this, but we are so oblivious and almost like, almost like scornful of local culture, you know? Not so much local entertainment, I guess, but local culture, local arts and culture. We're so, I don't know, there's a kind of cultural cringe that comes with it. And if you ask a person, like, can you name me a Singaporean writer? You'll be surprised at how hard, <laughs> how hard it'd be for them to actually come up with, I don't know, just a name, you know? And, and, and that can be very sad. And so Singlet Station was kind of devised to kind of help in all those respects. So, and you know, the work, the work continues and never ends. Someone did ask us very recently at this grant situation, like, oh, what do you think about your efforts um, regionally and across the world? And I said, well, those plans are strictly ad hoc. You know, there's still so much work to be done in Singapore. I think we'd be deluded to think that, yeah, that we've, that there's nothing left to accomplish in this country. There's so much still to do. So yeah, it sounds like incredibly important work as well. Especially as, you know, I think you've all mentioned so far that both tradition and innovation are very important things. I think local tradition and also personal culture and tradition. And I wonder, Akshita, you you mentioned some stuff earlier about your own um, kind of personal relationship with tradition and culture. I wonder if you could say a bit more about that. Yes, and thanks for that, because as Daryl was talking, I was also thinking about how one's relationship to culture in Singapore might depend a bit on dominant language group, because um, I, for example, am quite rooted in, um, you know, for example, a family that practices the Hindu faith. We do not speak the official Tamil language, but we speak other regional dialects of India. I come from a family of storytellers. So a lot of the myths and legends that run through my bones are both, I I think of them in English and I also think of them in source languages like Hindi, not necessarily Sanskrit. I'm not very good at that. And the way I therefore express myself and the cultural interactions I have is very much informed by that. 
Very recently, I was privileged enough to be part of an anthology launched by the Association of Women for Action and Research, or AWARE, and it was a collection of writings from mostly women and some men on growing up Indian in Singapore and what it is like to have that experience of being South Asian by heritage but Singaporean by passport or residency status. And um, that was really empowering, very interesting. And of course, the anthology was not just in English. You know, there were people who spoke multiple languages. They were um, maybe partly Turkish or partly Malay. And it was lovely because we didn't have to understand every single word, but we could still find a commonality of experience. And I do find that that is very much the same for cultural offerings in Singapore, especially in theatre, in film. Um, because people on stage or on the screen, they will speak multiple languages with or without subtitles. And we kind of get the gist of it because that's the sea we swim in. But when it comes to writing and publishing, however, I think one of our issues is that it is only very recently that we have had sustained publication by Singapore-based publishers. And for a lot of the publishers, in order to stay solvent, they were targeting international markets for quite a while. And when you are targeting an international market, especially if you're doing English language publication, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, you're looking at the UK, you're looking at the US. And then that means a certain amount of gatekeeping and compromise in the language that you can allow in your books and in the type of storytelling. So the kind of storytelling background I come from is a bit circular. You know, we don't need to have the traditional plot climax resolution. We can have circular stories. We can have stories where nothing much really happens, but it's just sort of healing and enjoyable. You know, like the Alexander McCall Smith series of uh, the number one ladies detective agency. So until he came out, it was very difficult to get cozy comfort fiction out there in the market, even though that's part of our cultural background. So like what Daryl said, um, sometimes we only recognize our own culture because it comes packaged as international culture. But I think that with younger generations and thanks to people like Daryl and Singlet Station and Crispin and uh, Spoken Bird, the spoken word poetry, we're seeing people proud of who we are, the stories we tell, the language we use and understanding that this storytelling, this writing life is about us understanding each other, regardless of language, but also picking up another language along the way. Yeah, it seems as though language culture is integral to writing culture. I wonder, Crispin, would you agree? I know that your, some of your poetry looks at your your own background as being from, from mixed race heritage. Would you agree? Yes, I completely agree with what you just said. So um, I, I think for the longest time, I, I was writing mostly in English. Um, and I think part of it was because of all the books I had read and uh, were mostly in English. And, and I think not just that, but it was also a kind of segmentation of the language. So the only time I would see, for example, multiple languages interacting with each other was like a translation dictionary or if it was in like... A, a purpose-built textbook that you know you studied, for example, in in Mandarin, uh, in order to to understand it in English. So it was very it was very hard to come by um, a text that was written in multiple languages. And the 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 reason why I started writing in multiple languages was because there was this sudden blooming of people who were willing to write. Um, in multiple languages in the context of Singapore. So we have a few of them, someone like Marilyn Tan, um, who started writing in multiple languages. Um, 
And so that gave me confidence to to write also in multiple languages. And it, and part of it also came from reading what other people were doing overseas. So I, I started going out and looking for biracial writers overseas. And I fell in love with works by people like Will Harris, Nina Minya Pauls, who were engaging in multiple languages in a dominantly English collection, but they weren't ashamed of looking and writing in multiple languages. And so I think a lot of the writing habits that I've developed maybe over the last two to three years were really because I had this huge change in my reading habits. Yeah, that that's so fascinating. I mean, obviously England is very is very Anglo-centric in its in its language orientation, but it seems language is essential not only to understanding yourself but to understanding other people. And I think it comes back to this idea that you've all sort of touched on of ultimately understanding each other and finding a commonality of um of experience. And so I kind of like to hear from from each of you to sort of wrap up why you write and, and, and why you kind of chase this chase this experience and chase this connection with other people. I wonder actually if you would like to speak about that. Oh thank you. Yes. Um I write because stories are how I interact with the world and my primary form of entertainment and books have always been my love since I was uh, a young girl. And I started writing because the stories I wanted to read were not on the shelves. There were stories of women without men, women just doing their own things and not having to worry about their place in the world or worrying about their place in the world and carving out new things. And stories that celebrated femininity, like my second book, Beauty Queens of Bishan, is about a beauty pageant. And it contrasts that with the US presidential election. Because why shouldn't a beauty pageant be just as important for the participants as a presidential election? Why shouldn't women be allowed to have these spaces where they can be celebrated in their femininity? You know, what makes a good feminist? What makes a bad feminist? And why can't we just have fun with ourselves and our stories? So I write because I want people to see themselves and hopefully connect with a slightly different way of viewing the world. Because I do think stories in the end are the only thing that bring us together and the only thing that can change the world for the better. That is really beautiful. I agree. I really agree. Um, Crispin, what do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, very sim- in a very similar vein to Akshita, um, I think for me, writing is a form of homecoming. It's every time I write, I think about home and I think about how do I get there. And uh, sometimes it's a poem, sometimes it's an essay, sometimes it's a short story. Sometimes it's trying to do a podcast, uh, you know, but homecoming for me, it's always like, what exactly is the core? What makes a place home? And, you know, right now we're talking about you know, using AI to generate poetry and fiction, you know, but the question is, do you arrive at a certain sense of comfort and safety uh, from that kind of writing? And for me, all writing for me must lead me to somewhere that's safe, that's comfortable for myself and preferably for people who follow me for that journey. And so that's where I write from. I come to a core sense of where home is and then um, I try to bring people along with me. That's beautiful. I love that idea of writing as homecoming. I think a lot of people would agree that that, that is a major function of, of writing and why we all write. Daryl, what do you think? Well, I guess my answer would, I guess, most resemble Akshita's. For me, writing, I love writing because I love reading. And I loved reading because it saved my life so many times. I think when I was a child, 
didn't really know better, didn't really understand what suffering was, and it just filled my life with so much happiness. I think I, I was born with an, I guess, an innate sense of joy, and the stories really fed to that. So that you know, when I later became bullied for about twelve years, oh my god, um, reading became a way in which I could kind of safeguard that joy and have that joy replenished within myself. Without having to find it in other people, and when I started writing, so much of it was a way to just kind of see how I might save myself once, rather than rely on other people. Other people being other authors, <laughs> and、um, that was very much how I began writing. My first book, I would tell people, you know, like if you've read my first book, or if people tell me they've read my first book, I always like shudder because they would have met me at my rawest. When I wrote that book, I wrote it out of deep loneliness and also this unwavering self-belief that I'd never find love. Imagine, imagine why that was the reason why you wrote. And and for me, when I wrote all those characters in my first book, they were also lonely in their own little ways. But I remember thinking, like, if they could just all belong in a story together, then they wouldn't be lonely anymore, you know. And that was what, that was very much why、um, I started writing. And I think that reason has kind of changed over the years inevitably. I think now, I'm finally at the stage where I don't have to save myself so much with my stories. I can finally think of myself as an artist, really, as someone who wants to kind of express himself, and someone who can think of language as a material which he can work, and shape, and see how it might kind of live up to the imagination and the vision I he has in his own head. That's where I'm finally kind of getting at now. Which I guess is a good thing, you know, in the storyline of Daryl Yam, he doesn't have to save himself anymore. But I think whatever I said isn't unique to me. I think everyone in this podcast kind of understands that on some very deep, almost irrational level. But I think that irrationality is also found on a kind of love for stories, really. You know, that thing that made us feel connected to a wider world. I think that's why we do the things that we do, which is writing. Yeah, I think you've touched on two really essential ideas there at the end, Daryl. Which are, first of all, I mean, reading as being integral to writing, to the writing life, and to this kind of production of joy. And I think the ecosystem of creativity that we all exist within, and also the writing life as a journey. Like you said, like your how much you've changed from writing your your first book、um, until now. And I think we've all been on a on a fascinating journey in this podcast. Um, so thank you all so so much for speaking so eloquently and so honestly,、um, and just being fantastic.、Um, also, I'd like to thank, of course, the National Centre for Writing、um, and also the Arts Council of Singapore for supporting these virtual residencies and for allowing important conversations like these to happen. And thank you all so much. Thank you, Daryl. Thank you, Akshita. Thank you, Chris. It's been great talking to all of you. If you have questions or want to get in touch, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Writer Centre, and you'll find us on Facebook by searching National Centre for Writing. Don't forget to sign up to our weekly newsletter by visiting nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk and clicking the orange drop-down box on the homepage. As a UK registered charity, we rely on the generosity of our supporters to make our work possible. You can make a donation over on the website today by hitting the Support Us button in the top nav. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us because it helps other writers to find the podcast. Thanks again. Keep writing, and we'll catch you on the next episode.